challenging men to be great men. Welcome to the Great Man Podcast with your host, New York Times bestselling author, Stephen Mansfield. Gentlemen, let us begin. I want to talk to you about some lessons of manhood from the life of Billy Graham. As you know, I'm a Christian, and so I honor Billy Graham. I'm grateful for his impact on our generation. I'm grateful for his years of ministry and around the world. Uh, He recently died at the age of 99. You can read, I'm sure, many of the tributes yourself. Uh, watch them on television. I'm thankful that he's being honored in our time. I'm thankful that he uh, lies in state uh, at the U.S. Capitol. I'm grateful for all of that. But I, I'm, I'm not here to talk primarily about Billy Graham from the standpoint of him being a minister. I want to talk to you about Billy Graham from the standpoint of him being a man and being a prominent man and being a principled man. So even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't revere Billy Graham like I do, still, There are some principles of manhood I think we can draw from his life, and that's what I want to talk about in this podcast. Let me give you seven traits that I have long admired about Billy Graham, and these are traits of manhood. First of all, and these are in no particular order, Billy Graham stayed close to the wild. I love that about him. He lived out in the country. He had his ministry center kind of out in the woods. Uh, he loved the wild. He loved hunting. He loved animals. He loved nature. He stayed close to it. It would have been very easy for a man who spent a lot of his life in limousines and airplanes and hotel rooms and office buildings to lose connection with the land. But he didn't. He stayed close to the wild. He let it call to the wildness in himself. Uh, not the immoral wildness, but just just to, uh, to be alive on the inside, to be manly, to have passion, to have zeal, to have fires churning on the inside of you. And so he lived close to the wild, and I admire that about him. Uh, as a guy who spends a lot of time traveling, a lot of time speaking, a lot of time uh, indoors just by virtue of what I do, um, I admire people in my kind of lifestyle, you know, planes, trains, automobiles, conference centers, limos, uh, arenas, things of that nature, who stay connected to their sport, stay connected to nature, and Billy Graham did. Uh, number two, he kept it clean sexually. You know, Billy Graham had a massively successful crusade in Los Angeles in 1949. And from that moment on, his message began to be heard around the nation. It was obvious he was a young man on the rise. And so he pulled his team of leaders together and they agreed to about four principles. I'll talk about those through these seven truths that I'm talking to you about from Billy Graham's life. But the first one, and the one I want to mention now, is they decided that they were going to keep it sexually clean. They were not stupid men. They knew that sometimes traveling ministers could descend into immorality. They, they, they'd read Elmer Gantry, for example. You know, they, they, they knew that image. They, they knew that, uh, that myth, not just that myth, but that, that image of, of traveling ministers. And so they decided that there would not be any sexual impropriety amongst them. They stayed close to their wives and kept them involved. They would not meet with women alone, not that women are evil, but they just weren't going to give a chance for temptation. They kept their travel plans secret. They would never give out their uh, hotel location publicly, or or certainly not their hotel rooms. They always traveled in groups, um, things of that nature. They stayed accountable to each other about everything from secretaries to porn to what have you, um, and they kept themselves pure. And whatever you may think of Billy Graham, 
uh, in all the tributes that I've heard, no one is accusing him of sexual impropriety ever. And that's a, that's a rarity in our generation, I need to say. Why? Because in 1949, he made a commitment to become, to be sexually, to be sexually pure and put some clear guidelines in place to make sure that that would happen. In other words, he set boundaries and he became accountable and he involved other men with it. And as a result, he did not blow up his amazing ministry by being sexually immoral. And for those who travel a great deal, there's always that temptation. Number three, I've always admired the fact that Billy Graham admitted his mistakes. Uh, He was a revered man, a good-looking man, a well-spoken man, a much-loved man, but um, he made some mistakes. Uh, he once went in when he was a young, young preacher, young evangelist, to see Harry Truman, President Harry Truman, and they had a meeting, and uh, it was the first time that Billy Graham had ever met a president. When he walked out on the White House lawn, some of the cynical press said, so, did you pray with the president? And Billy Graham, you know, all excited, said, yes, I did. And and then they said, well, well, what the, what did you say? And, and and then one of the one of the members of the press got an idea. He said, well, why don't you reenact it for him, for us? And so right there on the White House lawn, Billy Graham got down on his knees and reenacted his prayer with the president. Well, Harry Truman was livid. He thought those conversations should be private. He began to think that Billy Graham was just trying to gain popularity by meeting with the president, and it just did not go well. Well, Billy Graham later apologized for that, realized his mistake, spoke of it often, and and uh, and grew as a result of it. Uh, he also made mistakes by being too close to some politicians. I, he he admitted later in his life that Richard Nixon had completely played him, um, and that and that a lot of the spiritual passion that Richard Nixon talked about was not sincere. And and of course, you may know that on the Watergate tapes, Billy Graham's actually heard um, saying some critical things of Jews, for example. He had sort of bought in to Richard Nixon's anti-Semitism. So this is an example of where Harry, I'm sorry, Billy Graham made mistakes, but he admitted them. And I think that's very important for us to remember. And I think it's a great principle of manhood. Uh, number, number four, uh, Billy Graham remained relatively contemporary. We all know that it's possible for anyone of an older age, but especially preachers, to fall out of style, to not be contemporary, to not what's, know what's going on, to not look uh, contemporary and like they're with it in any way. Billy Graham wore his hair long. He wore contemporary clothing. I'm not saying that it's style alone that makes the man, but I will say that I admired him because in the 1970s, he dressed in terms of the 1970s. His hair was at a length equal to the 1970s. His sideburns were 1970s sideburns. And again, if you're going to be in media and you're going to be contemporary, you ought to be not cool, not on the cutting edge, not just trying to be a, a, you know, a, a clothes horse, but at least try to be relatively relevant to the age in which you live. Billy Graham did that. Another thing I admired about Billy Graham is that he remained informed. One of the ways I know this is that I was a young pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, when Billy Graham did a crusade there. I had also written the state uh, history of religion. I'd been asked by the governor of Tennessee to write the, the history of religion for that state for the bicentennial. So when Billy Graham was coming to town, uh, he asked some of his aides to contact me and asked if I would write him a briefing sheet and give him some history of, of, of Tennessee and give him some of the background and what were the main themes and what had history shown and where had the church been strong, where it had been weak, um, you know, what were sort of the spiritual strongholds in the state. And, uh, and I did that. And then they came back with more questions. And he spent months in advance of that crusade uh, asking questions and learning from little old Stephen Mansfield, who at that point was just a, 
an upstart author. But he re, he what 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 was going on was he wanted to be informed, and and much of what I said, much of what I wrote, much of what I advised, uh, ended up in Billy Graham's sermons during that crusade. What's my point? Not that Stephen Mansfield knew Billy Graham because I didn't. We never spoke, but rather that Billy Graham went out of his way to be informed. He could have just gotten up, preached the Bible like he'd done a thousand times before, but he wanted to incarnate his message. He wanted to make it relevant. He wanted to make it significant for the for the culture in which he found himself. And uh, it made him much, much more effective. So he worked hard to know where he was, what he was doing, to stay informed. And I think that's an important principle of manhood. Many men become obsolete. Many men fail uh, to stay informed and stay current. They hear things in the news. They couldn't possibly even find the towns mentioned in the news uh, on a map, for example. And so they, 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 they cease to be relevant. And I think that's a danger. Uh, the the, the, the f- f- sixth one that I think is critically important, very, very important, um, is unity. Uh, Billy Graham encouraged unity in all that he did. Now, that may not be as important in your field, um, but Billy Graham would not publicly speak ill of another clergyman. Um, he did something I deeply admired, and he would often have very theologically liberal clergymen, which is not something he was. He was very conservative. Or clergymen who had criticized him, he would have them sit on the stage with him during his meetings and his crusades. I mean, that was just to give a, a position of prominence to those who'd been criticizing him. But it was a way that he he invited his enemies to get to know him and realize he wasn't the threat they thought he was. It allowed him to build relationships with his enemies. um, And it also allowed him to influence people he would never have had influence with otherwise. I I love the fact that when he used to go into the South and they wanted to have segregated meetings, he would put black clergy on the stage. Uh, He would insist that the meetings be open to every ethnicity. Um, This was in a very segregated South at the time. So Billy Graham uh, reached beyond lines, party lines, theological lines, racial lines, insisted on unity, insisted that we're all one in God's sight, and lived that out accordingly. And I think that's very, very powerful. But another thing that he did, and something that I think is extremely important, especially for those of you who might be in business or perhaps ministry also, uh, is in that 1949 meeting where he was really setting the principles by which his team would function, he decided that they were going to be uh, financially clean. He decided that all of his men would take would draw salaries uh, rather than make their living from offerings, you know, from adoring crowds. That you know how that can go. That can really get ginned up, and it can make the speaker more dramatic and tell even more dramatic stories, whether they're true or not, because it gets a bigger offering. And he knew that that's where impropriety set in, and so he decided that first of all, his men would draw salaries. They would be reasonable salaries, and um, they would be salaries that would take care of their needs, but but not in any way allow them to be ostentatious. He made sure that financial accountability, financial, frankly, accounting, um, was done by local committees wherever he went and did crusades. So the money stayed local. It was managed locally, and it didn't, it didn't uh, uh, directly benefit him. And not one allegation of financial impropriety has ever been laid at the door of Billy Graham Ministries. Not ever. And the reason is that in 1949, he and his team decided they were going to be clean. Imagine what a difference that would make in business and in ministry today. So I want to I make sure that you don't let Billy Graham pass from this life 
without drawing from the lessons he has to teach. Now, as a Christian, I certainly urge that you pay attention to his spiritual message. I certainly encourage that you listen to his preaching, watch his videos on YouTube, uh, read his books, read his articles. Uh, this, this is a man who had a lot of good to, to, to embed in our lives, and I hope you'll allow that. But from a manhood perspective, I like the fact that Billy Graham stayed close to the wild, that he clept, kept his public life clean sexually, that he admitted his mistakes publicly, that he stayed contemporary in style, that he stayed informed, worked very hard to stay informed and to stay current in what he knew, that he encouraged unity across every kind of line and cha- helped change our generation as a result, and that he absolutely set boundaries to make sure that he stayed financially clean. I think these are principles of manhood, and I hope that you will go and live these out. To join the Great Man community, or to book Stephen to speak at your men's event, go to greatman.tv. You'll learn about Stephen Mansfield's two essential books for men, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men and Building Your Band of Brothers as well as some other great resources for becoming a great man. The Great Man Podcast is a Mansfield Group production.